0: Well, good morning. Uh, <laughs> today we continue to unpack the seven deadly sins and their opposite virtues. And I have the privilege of talking about the sin of sloth and the virtue of diligence. So sounds fun, doesn't it? It's been real fun all week, let me tell you. As I personally get rendered by the Holy Spirit in this, as I prepared. Uh, disclaimer, I have issues. Okay? And you also have issues. Okay? In case you, yeah, some more than others. But we all got them. Let's, let's put that in there. All right? Uh, let's pray really quick before we open up this word. Father, we just come before you and, and I ask, Lord, for your forgiveness. It's, it's, not easy, uh, it's not easy to be rendered by your Spirit. And it's not easy even to look at some of this text. But I pray, God, we wouldn't miss your mercy, your love, and your grace by giving us direction for our lives. I pray that you would just go before us and by your Spirit, would you open our eyes to see you. In our ears to hear you, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. First, let's start off by defining what sloth means. Are you ready? In the dictionary, sloth means, and it's up on the screen behind me, it means a disinclination to action or labor, indolence, or B, spiritual apathy and inactivity. I also included the definition of indolence because I didn't know what indolence meant as a synonym. And it says, inclination to laziness, sloth. We come right back to the beginning. Turn to your neighbor and say, I may have some issues. Yeah. Now turn to your neighbor and say, mistakes were made. All right, good. We're all on the same page. Okay, in contrast to sloth, the definition for diligence is steady, earnest, and energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work and application to accomplish an undertaking. Catch that again steady, earnest, energetic effort, devoted and painstaking work. An application to accomplish an undertaking. Moving forward today, we're gonna, we're gonna. Sloth will be represented represented by its synonyms, i.e., the word lazy will be used and the word sluggard. Now, if you were like me, my parents used that word, and I and I. It is a little bit of a triggering word for me because uh, it was not used in a very nice way to me when I was growing up. So just be, just guard your heart for a moment if that, if you're sensitive to that, because this is just how the scripture describes it, okay? And let the Holy Spirit kind of inform you on that. Here are some samplings. Uh, here are some samplings of scriptures. Uh, what did I say? I can't read. Here are some samplings what the scriptures have to say about these two types of attributes. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes ten eighteen. It says, Through laziness the rafters sag. Because of idle hands the house leaks. Proverbs 6, 6 through 11 says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, or ruler. Yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. And poverty will come on you like a thief, and scarcity like an armed man. Proverbs ten twenty six says, As vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, so are sluggards to those who send them. Proverbs 10, 4-5 says, Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Proverbs 12, 24 says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Proverbs 13, 4 says, A sluggard, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Ecclesiastes 9.10, to, to cap it off. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead, where you are going, there is neither working nor planning nor knowledge nor wisdom. Now that's hopefully not where you're going, but... That's what, that's what uh, Solomon's trying to tell you. <laughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, man. I, this is going to be tough. All right? Man. Man, man. That's what we are. Um, I think we could all agree this morning that depending on who you are, the, the ability to say yes to something or no to something comes easier for you. I know for me, or for some of us, saying yes to mo- is easier, and we probably say yes to more things than we should. And some of us say no to more things we should. Today we are talking about the problem, sloth is a problem, really, of saying no to something we should be saying yes to. Here are some questions to help us evaluate where we are at. I love these questions. <clears throat> if you say no consistently to going to work because you don't feel like it, what are the potential consequences with your employer? You, again, this is this is this is not a what is this rhetorical? Yeah, rhetorical question. If we say no consistently to watching what we eat or drink, what happens to our bodies? (laughs) That's one consequence. There's lots, depending on what we're eating and drinking. If we say no consistently to exercising or living an active lifestyle, high blood pressure, anybody? Diabetes, Diabetes, yep. Yep, thank you. You You guys are... You guys got, you're, down, you got you're, you're tracking with me. If we say no consistently to engaging in our close relationships or family because we're tired of all the work it takes to maintain them, what happens to those relationships? You can keep going. I'm going to keep going too. If we say no consistently to our spouses and children when they need us over time, what happens to our relationship with our spouse and our children? Yes. If we say no consistently to growing in our faith through prayer, learning about God through the scriptures, and being a part of the body of Christ, by exercising the gifts God has given you, what happens to you and what happens to the body of Christ? It doesn't operate like it's supposed to. I suffer too, as well as you. And is that what Jesus modeled for you? Lastly, if we say no consistently to the mission of Jesus Christ and doing the work he gave us to do to advance his kingdom, how do you think Jesus feels about that? You're going to find out. Friends, because of this deceitfulness of slothfulness and laziness, we become self-centered and unmotivated. That can translate into many psychological issues such as anxiety, procrastinating, poor mood, sadness, and destructive thinking to ourselves and to others. An article I read said this, Laziness can be mostly defined as being in a state of inactivity as a result of an individual's unwillingness to perform a task despite having the capacity to do so. Let me say that again. Laziness can can mostly can be mostly, def, mostly defined as being in a state of inactivity as a result of an individual's unwillingness to perform a task despite having the capacity to do so. Laziness can occur periodically and is believed to be more of a mental state, deliberate act, or personal choice. Now, I say that with sensitivity, right? Because we know that, there, that some, some of us have suffered with depression and anxiety and it may not be connected to laziness, right or slothfulness. So just know that. I'm not, I'm not trying to make that as an absolute statement. Read along with me a, a parable Jesus uh, says to the crowds concerning these attributes in Luke 1911 through27. This is called the parable of the ten minus. While they were listening to this, starting in verse 11, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. Just to give you a little background, what happens right after he tells his parable is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem and Jesus' essentially last days before the cross. While they were listening, I'm going to read it again. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of of God was going to appear at once. That's the reason why he's telling this parable. I always thought it was about the other stuff. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. Everybody say, gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant. His master replied, Because you've been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of 10 cities. What a promotion. A mina was considered to be like three months' wages. What a promotion. His master was pumped. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest then he said to those standing by take his Mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten Minas sir they said he already has ten he replied I tell you that I tell you that everyone who has more will be given but as for the one who has nothing even what they have will be taken away but those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them bring them here and kill them in front of me. Wow. What's interesting about this parable is that it just isn't about how the servants handled the money, which is what which is what this is this this parable is also in a couple other of the gospels. And this one's this one's a little bit different. It's not just about how they handled the money, although that's that's what that's what brought me to this parable in the beginning. It wasn't that, that two of the guys were diligent and one was slothful. That, that's, not the, that's not the thing. It's about something else. It's about the kingdom of God. And this, is, and this is something that God takes very seriously. And I think something that we need to really consider today as the body of Christ... And, and the church in America, we we have. I don't know that we've leveraged ourselves to the point of the mission or the kingdom of God. You're going to find out. Uh, you're going to find out that this in this parable, actually, Jesus is telling them this because everybody thought that he was going to come and take seat, take the seat of power in Rome and be the Messiah, the king. He was, but he was going to leave for a little while first. And he was going to give his gifts, his his the minas out to his servants. And he was going to put them to work before he comes back as king. That's what this parable is about. He's letting his servants know, listen, if you think I'm going to go into Jerusalem and I'm going to be the, I'm going to be the king right now, you're wrong. But, but don't worry about it. Go to work with what I've given you. And in the end, I'll return as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We, his servants, will give an account for our time, talents, and money. We're going, to be, we're going to give account on whether or not we leverage them for the kingdom of God or on our own lives. Are we servants who say yes and go to work for our Savior and King and his mission? Or do we say no, I don't feel comfortable with that. And I can just tell you as a member of the church, it's easy. There are some things I don't feel comfortable doing. Usually those are the things that God asks, asks me to do. I would prefer to do the things that I'm comfortable with. But he continues to ask me to do things that I'm uncomfortable with. Why? Because he knows I, in him I have everything I need. All I need to do is have faith and trust him that he's with me and lean on him. And that experience usually turns out awesome. I'm so grateful but what are the things in our lives today and in this in our church that we are, we say ah, I just don't feel comfortable with that this is a problem in our church this is a problem by by numbers by percentage if if 20 of a, if 20 put it this way if 20% of your body works and 80% of it doesn't is that great no if the body of Christ only ha- only has participation from 20% of it and 80% of it is just kind of in and out how does the body of Christ work? What what happens to the what happens to the mission of God if we're only 20% effective? There's a lot of people that get missed. There's a lot of neighbors that aren't loved. There's a lot of people in our community that that are looking for some hope. And some care that God imparted to us through Jesus Christ. But we're not giving it out. We're caught up in our own lives. We're worried about our own kingdoms, as it were. Paul describes what kind of humble, gives a picture of what humble service to the body of Christ looks like in Romans 12, 3 through 8. Read along with me. And each member belongs to the others. Say belongs to the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. That means basically begin somewhere. And your faith, as your faith grows, your gift will grow, right? In accordance to your faith. That's what that means. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Here's the thing. God placed each and every one of us in a place. The place where you live, what, the community that you serve in, your jobs, everything that you've been given, God wants the kingdom to come in those places. In every relationship, He wants you to be thinking of the the guy the guy working next to you or the gal, you know, at the at the coffee stand. He wants He wants you in the course of you living your life to consider His kingdom and mission. And live out the love that he's given you out to give that love to other people. So that people go, why? That person is awfully nice. What is it about them? That people would be inquisitive, right? That's how the gospel multiplies. And we desperately need that. I will say one thing. Unless we spend time together as a body... Unless we learn, like James says, to, uh, to confess our sins to one another and, 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 and share our burdens with one another. Unless we get some healing for all the trauma and the, and the things that we've experienced throughout our lives that there's so much growth that needs to take place in each one of us. Unless we do that collectively, unless we get together in small groups or, in, or as families or whatever... It's more than just Sunday morning. This is an engagement that we have to participate in throughout the week. If we do that, our healing comes from that. If you isolate yourself from that, your healing is isolated. It's slowed down. It's designed to be meshed together. The body and the mission... Now the truth is we all say no to things that we should say yes to in regard to our relationship with God and each other and there is grace for us when we ask the Lord for forgiveness. I'm not saying I'm not I'm not trying to I'm not trying to drop a hammer without the solution. The solution is there. It's available to us with the word with the with a, with a with an acknowledgement of who God is to say I'm so sorry, Father. Whatever whatever you're thinking right now, whatever he's speaking to you about, if you're feeling some conviction, that's a good thing. That's his mercy for you. He's not leaving you uh, abandoned or alone. He's telling you, come here. Come, bring it to me. I can heal it. I can work it. I can do something in that for you. And if I share it with And and then he'll encourage you to go share it with somebody. Say, hey, I got issues too. Can we pray for each other? Can we help each other? Uh, Worship team, you guys can come up when you're ready. There are so many areas of our lives that we have said no to. When we should have said yes. And I know God wants to heal and restore us. But I wonder if we were straight, and I'm going to spend a little time on this as application for this morning, if we were straight on the mission of the kingdom of God, if the other parts of our life where sloth has affected us or we've been maybe over diligent, like because you can be over diligent on things, like some guys can be like, dude, you should see me play Call of Duty, Right? I'm I, like, I'm in the top, top hundred in the country. How much time does it take to invest in that? Yeah. And you want to know, and the truth of the matter is other things suffer. There's, that's just one. That's just one of many examples where sometimes you can be diligent working. You can be, you can work too much and never learn how to engage in the body of Christ or in the relationships of your family. You can leave, you can do anything one way or the other too much. Sometimes diligence can be a sin, even though we're encouraged to do it as a virtue in our in following our faith with God. But I do wonder if we if we if we if we focused our life on one thing, the mission of the kingdom of God. I think the other parts of our life would fall into place. I think of the scripture uh, in the. In um, where Jesus says, you know, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear, for pagans run after these things. And my Father knows that you need them, but seek first the kingdom and, in the, and his, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. He knows we need things; we don't have to strive and contend. For these things, we need to strive and contend for the kingdom for which we are citizens of. And and this morning, if you came to church and you're like, what is this guy talking about? You can be a citizen, too. You can be a citizen, too. Jesus is calling you. This is how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. This then is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries of God, the mysteries God has revealed. That's us too. This is a mystery of God that he's revealing and the gospel that God would love a broken world. Now, now it is required that those who, who have been given a trust must, must prove faithful I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive... They're praised from God. This verse is talking about the same thing the parable is talking about. One day we will stand in judgment. There's only one judge and his name is Jesus. What are we doing with what he's given us? Just to be clear on what Jesus' mission is, actually, in Luke 19, in one, one verse before where we started is the story of Zacchaeus at the beginning of Luke 19. And at the end, in verse 10, he says, his, he repeats his mission, which he repeats a lot of times in the Gospels. He says in Luke Luke nineteen ten, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's Jesus' mission, in case you forgot. What did Jesus command us to do? I'm going to give you a couple examples. But they tie together. Matthew 22, 37-39, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Matthew 28, 19-20 says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Are you, are you confused about, about his mission and what you've been commissioned to do? Does it seem pretty clear? Are there some parts of that that you're afraid to engage in? That's, that's the slothful piece. Is there some things you're like, I, yeah. Those are the things that Jesus wants to work out in your life. Because if you're on mission with him, the rest of the stuff takes care of itself. All the provision, everything that you need, everything will be supplied. You don't need to strive for those things. And, he, and, and the scriptures give us more examples of that, that we don't have to be afraid or overwhelmed because God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit will help us. John fifteen sixteen through 17 says this, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Say, bear fruit. Jesus chose you and me to bear fruit. What kind of fruit are we bearing? That's the question. Fruit that will last. What's fruit that lasts? It's eternal fruit. It's the stuff that's it's the stuff that His mission produces. It's it's your neighbor getting a changed life, learning to to know Jesus and and walk with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit because a neighbor loved them along the way. That's the fruit that will last. And so whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You're not left alone. It's not like Jesus gives you this commission and says, hey, good luck. It's a a rough one out there. Right? He doesn't do that to us. Is it going to be easy? No. It's not going to be easy. If he suffered, we're going to suffer in the process of it. It goes together. But... He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and there's nothing that can stop him. He's coming back. He's going to be the king, whether, we, whether everybody else, or the, that delegation of people who don't believe, choose that he's not going to be their king. He will be the king. Amen. He will be the king. We have nothing to fear. John 17, 20 through 23 says this, and this is a prayer that Jesus prays for all of us. as we are one. Think of that statement. I have given them the glory that you gave me. This is the mina. This is the gift that he's given each of you. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me. And have loved them even as you have loved me. How are we doing on unity today? Forget about just just politically. Think of, I'm just talking about the church. How are we doing? I got issues with the guy down the street, but that's, you know. No. That's the stuff, right? That's the stuff. But the truth is I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you. And we all have that in common. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you today and I'm so grateful. Uh, I'm so grateful for the love that you have given us. I'm grateful that you love me so much and us so much that, that you, give us, you give us hard things to think about. I'm amazed that you have, you have set forth this day a long time before it has come to pass because you love your people and you see our struggle and you see the things that, that bog us down and keep us from, from engaging with you fully from, for, in, in order to allow your love to c- come to us fully. Forgive us, God. Forgive us. We we don't really know, and I'm I'm grateful to you because you already know we don't know. That's why your mercies are new every morning. You know we don't know, but I pray that you would help us. You would help us be diligent and not slothful in our pursuit of you. I I pray that you would help us be diligent. in in the pursuit of one another and the body of Christ, to understand more of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ and and to be on on your mission with you. Because it's your heart that, that, that none perish, but all would come to eternal life. Forgive us, Father. There's some days we just don't think about that. And yet you thought about it for a long time and you saw all of us. Thank you. Help us. I pray that I pray that for each one today that you would you would give them what they need to to reconcile the things that you've spoken to them through this through this word. And I pray that we would we would share that with each other, that we would we would be comfortable with our issues so that the grace of God would flow through us and and we would be unified as a broken people with an incredible Savior to love a world that is desperately in need of us. In Jesus' name, amen.